I am going to dispense with uh, the introductory remarks that I have uh, generally started this series with because I want to plow through a little more information tonight. So I'm going to ask you to go back and listen to some of the earlier messages um, uh, to catch up on that. Uh, I uh, listen to them after each week. <laughs> Cringeworthy sometimes, but I did notice a lexical error in last week. I I was talking about an alternative opinion, and I used the word alternate opinion. That was a dreadful error. <laughs> um, some of you may have caught that. I didn't catch it until I listened to it. What? Um, all right. Let's uh, pray, please. Father, we are so grateful for this time together uh, that we can join together and uh, in that simple act, because we've joined together in faith, we expect your presence to join with us here. We're so very grateful for that. And we wish to turn our attention solely to you tonight. We wish to hear you speak to us by your spirit and through your word. And so we turn our whole heart toward you now. We relax our grip on any cares and concerns we may have come to uh, this service with tonight. We cast all of our cares upon you, the whole of our cares upon you, knowing that you care for us, that you love us so tenderly and so entirely, and you yearn to minister to uh, the concerns of our lives, the needs of our lives, and to uh, our own uh, longings, Lord. And so we, we thank you uh, that uh, having cast our cares upon you, that we can simply relax, uh, Lord, in the knowledge that, that you are at work and we can turn our thoughts and attention uh, uh, undivided toward you now. In Jesus' name. Uh, turn with me, please, to 1 Corinthians, the 12th chapter. We want to continue our series on the personal work of the Holy Spirit. And, <laughs> excuse me, uh, address... Uh, continue to address, uh, to some degree, the why of tongues. We have actually broached that subject now, which, as I mentioned last week, is not a subject without controversy. Um, some of that controversy uh, is an effect of, of perhaps the way that uh, the subject has been addressed by some or because of the manner in which those who have embraced this truth have um, have participated in it and and sometimes have done so apparently ignoring Paul's very straightforward counsel in 1 Corinthians 14 that these gifts are to be participated in uh, with, within an environment of order and with decorum. Special attention paid um, to that because these gifts can be subjective in nature. It's imperative that they are permitted to operate within an extremely objective environment. If, if 
they're not allowed to do that, they can quickly uh, become problematic. I mean, in some instances, uh, particularly with prophecy, it can become abusive. Uh, it can be prone to error. With tongues itself, uh, Paul said simply that the evangelistic dynamic that the gifts contain, particularly tongues and interpretation, can collapse entirely. And the unbeliever or the uninitiated will essentially flee that gathering and, and conclude that uh, the people gathered there are insane. And that's happened. I mean, there are too many contemporary exa examples to cite, but it's happened frequently. And maybe you were exposed to some of that. I was not raised as a Pentecostal, but I was raised around Pentecostalism. Uh, my grandparents were involved in a Pentecostal church uh, when I was very young. And when I did attend church, it would ordinarily be with them. And I recall, and it, that happened in particular when I was older, probably 10, 11, 12, maybe 13. And on those occasions, I experienced the presence of God, and I, I lapped up the, the presence that I experienced there. And I did see a real hunger for Jesus and a love for Him. But what I experienced with regard to the gifts, and most especially tongues, uh really left a bad taste in my mouth. I felt emotionally violated. Uh, it was, it was a, at times, it was a frightening experience. You know, there wasn't anything traumatic that happened, but I, as I, as I noted, and it may seem difficult to believe, but I am by nature an introvert, and to see some of the raw emotion displayed there really was a little shaking for me. I didn't enjoy it at all. Uh, but when I was uh, later in my teen years, I think about 15 or 16, my grandparents became very involved in the charismatic movement, which was a, a, an enormous shift for them. Uh, it challenged a lot of their Pentecostal theology. Uh, the charismatic movement really was that outpouring which occurred within the mainline uh, historic churches. The Episcopal Church, the Anglican Church in North America at that time was um, its epicenter. And so there was a rich theology regarding the Holy Spirit and the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And uh, the services tended to reflect this mandate that Paul issues in 1 Corinthians 14 regarding order and decorum. And so it challenged their theology, but they began to discover within God's Word the truths that they were experiencing there were biblical, and that, these, uh, that their past really reflected a lot of excess and, and an abandonment of certain theological precepts and mandates. And so they, they really embraced it, and... That was my first encounter. I remember my first exposure to it. I felt like my heart had found a home. I experienced a palpable joy and gladness when I entered those services, but nothing was ginned up. There was no hype, and there wasn't any raw emotionalism, but there was a real sense of gladness that I think was merely an effect of the very real presence of Jesus Christ there. And the gifts, when they were in operation... Uh, operated in such a fashion as to, as to minister life. 
there was a certain um, wholesomeness about it, uh, something that was affirming. And uh, I didn't feel at all violated. And most of all, I heard the Word taught in a way I had never heard before. And as I said, my heart found a home. Um, But over the ensuing years, some of that has changed within uh, the charismatic movement. And in my opinion, just to be perfectly frank, I think the charismatic movement as a movement really began to go off the rails by the late 90s. And that's not to say that uh, that's suggestive of the whole movement. It is not in every church. It is not. But particularly what we see reflected on television uh, and in some circles, it's, at least in my opinion, is problematic. But I do believe that we are uh, on the cusp of this wonderful new outpouring of the Spirit. And so returning to the Word of God and, and examining these truths uh, through God's Word, I think can point us in a direction that will allow us to participate in this new movement without any fear of finding ourselves captives to some sort of strange uh, and violating emotionalism or in something that would actually sort of be repellent to unbelievers or to people who have no background with that at all. Um, and most of all, it, it will be life-giving to us. 1 Corinthians 12, Paul begins to address <clears throat> the matter of the gifts of the Spirit alongside of, of uh, what we popularly call these, the gifts of the Spirit, the charismas. Those tend to be miraculous gifts, but alongside of them he lists the um, ministry gifts, the apostle, the prophet, the evangelist, the pastor, the teacher. He lists what we sometimes refer to as motivational gifts, which uh, are treated... Uh, uh, with greater detail in his epistle to the church at Rome, but he does address them here. Uh, but I think it's important because this has caused some confusion before. Uh, uh, he poses a question, do all speak with tongue it, in 1 Corinthians 12? And, it, and it, the obvious answer is no. And And because of that, some have concluded, well, that is uh, not a gift for every believer. But they fail to make a distinction between the gifts of the Spirit, which are given for the edification of the body. Paul is very clear regarding this matter. And tongues as a private devotional gift whose purpose is our own personal edification and worship. Not personal worship, but worshiping God uh, privately. Uh, verse 1 of chapter 12, Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to the mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I make known to you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God says Jesus is accursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. And let me simply say there's a great deal to unpack in these chapters but much of it goes beyond the scope of what we want to address tonight if I'm going to deal specifically with this issue of tongues. We may revisit this in the coming weeks because there's important information here, but I, uh, other than to say that, we, we don't have a great deal of time to uh, unpack uh, what he's saying here. Verse 4, Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit, and there are varieties of ministries, and the same Lord. 
There are varieties of effects. Now, I'm reading from the NSB. Some say ministry, some say gifts. These, uh, uh, I think effects is a critical word because I think it highlights uh, the point Paul is making. When we think of effects, think of uh, the ends, the purpose of these various manifestations of the Spirit. What is the purpose behind the manifestation? Particularly with tongues, that's so important. Now on the day of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit was poured out upon what is likely 120 gathered there in the upper room, they all began to speak with tongues. And gathered in Jerusalem uh, were, there may have been Jews that were, uh, who had returned to Jerusalem to live, but most likely uh, they were from uh, they were visiting there for the for the feast, and they were Jews from many nations, and each of them heard the praises of God in their own language. Now we don't know uh, if each of the individual uh, uh, those 120 who were speaking in other tongues were suddenly speaking in a language they didn't know. We don't know if it was a vocal miracle. We don't know if it was an auditory miracle. Was the miracle occurring in the ears of those who heard those praises in their own language? We don't really know. But it, it is likely that they were hearing from the lips of these 120 praises in their own language. That is, these men and women were somehow supernaturally equipped to speak a language they hadn't learned. Now, what would be the effect or purpose of that uh, manifestation of the Holy Spirit? Likely. I'm asking here. Evangelism. It would be a sign and a wonder. It would arrest people's attention, give them pause to not only consider what they're hearing, but why they're hearing it and point them toward the invisible God and His kingdom. Now, we learn of tongues and interpretation of tongues. Now, the gift of tongues within that context is always tethered to interpretation because it's an unintelligible language. Let's say I began to speak in other tongues right now. What would be the value of that? To you, I mean, other than giving it, you know, it might be a hoot for a few minutes, but uh, what would be the value, the inherent value? And there would be none. And Paul addresses us, we'll see in 1 Corinthians 14. But if I speak to you in a known language, then there is the real possibility that you could be edified by what I'm saying. You could be instructed. You could learn something valuable that um, would make more complete your knowledge of God or that you could somehow incorporate into your lifestyle, it would be a value to you, right? What would be the effect or purpose of an unknown tongue spoken in private? An unintelligible tongue spoken in, in private uh, devotion in your prayer closet. What would be the value of that? Okay, I'm looking for a word here. 
you'd be edified. You'd be personally edified. How? Well, we'll explore that. But we know, according to 1 Corinthians 14, which we'll read in a moment, that you would be edified, personally edified. Tongues and interpretation, tethered together in the public assembly, its purpose is to edify the body. Praying in tongues in your own private devotion, in your prayer closet, it is, its effect or its perfect or its purpose rather is to edify yourself. It's two different effects, two different purposes. Uh, speaking in, in known languages, that is through the power of the Holy Spirit. If I were to, if I were suddenly to begin speaking, I don't know Italian. I know that it looks as if I do the way that I use my hands, but I don't. But if I were to suddenly make a statement in Italian that revealed the secrets of someone's heart or declared to them the mysteries of God, in their own tongue, that would be convincing for them. Its purpose would be typically evangelistic, wouldn't it? There's a diff when we consider this matter of tongues especially, I think it's imperative that we bear in mind verse 6. There are varieties of effects. There are different administrations. There are different gifts. And there are different effects. There are different purposes. But the same God who works all things in all persons, but to each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for what? The common good. And then he begins to list these uh, charismas, these gifts of the Spirit, which are, I believe, and many commentators believe, are supernatural. Now, bear in mind, this subject, there is real controversy associated with. There are people who believe that the gifts of the Spirit, the supernatural manifestations of God, miracles, that that age concluded with the, with the death of the last apostle. Their purpose was largely in establishing the church. They're cessationists. They have a theology that their beliefs are grounded in. We'll deal with some of that work through some of that. There are people who believe that the gifts are still available today, but particularly with tongues, they do not believe that uh, they are available for all. I disagree with that. That should be obvious now. Now, as I said last week, and I want, I want to state this again clearly, I'm not trying to cajole you into accepting uh, my beliefs. I'm sharing with you what I believe. I'm, I'm almost 60 years old. I know I only look like I'm 25. <laughs> I'm nearly 60 years old now. I didn't arrive at these conclusions yesterday. Nor did I arrive at these conclusions casually. Uh, as a young believer, and most especially as a minister, I have never wished to believe anything. that wasn't clearly reflected in Scripture. And I have labored to teach in a way that reflects that commitment. 
I certainly would never want to mislead anyone that I'm teaching. So I'm not sharing these things flippantly, and I, and I would ask you to consider that. Uh, however, none of that, well, he is, he's, such, he's so committed to truth. And he's been doing this for decades, so he's probably right. I, I could be dead wrong. You seem like such a nice guy, though. I think I am. Well, I, that has nothing to do with uh, the accuracy of what I'm teaching. You can't conclude that because a guy's nice, that his teaching is, uh, is, is probably accurate. You can't conclude that because I'm sincere that what I'm teaching is accurate. There are lots of people who are sincere, but sincerely wrong. <laughs> Now, uh, at the end of the day, the obligation lies with you. Come with an open mind. Hear me with an open mind. But then you go back in the coming days and weeks and you reflect on what I'm saying against the metric of God's Word. You read God's Word for yourself. And you determine, hey, I think uh, Larry's on to something here. I think this may be true. Or you may conclude, I think he's all wet on this. I, I see things differently. And if that's the case, well, do me a favor and come, come talk with me about it. You may persuade me that I'm wrong. That's not like, no, I'm just kidding. You may persuade me that I'm wrong. Or we may, after discussion, you may you may see things a little differently. Or we may both just agree to disagree. As I said last week, this is not salvific. That is, our salvation does not hinge upon what we believe about the gifts of the Holy Spirit. So it's not a hill I'm willing to die on. Nor is it a hill I'm willing to sacrifice friendships with or unity for. So I'm sharing with you something that I believe will prove to be invaluable to you in your private devotions and, and then in your, in your Christian walk. Uh, but if you conclude otherwise, that's okay. Um, if we can agree to disagree over matters like this, that's fine. I think that's okay. But we continue to fellowship around the critical truth, which is primarily Jesus is Lord. <laughs> All right, so... Uh, um, Let's skip ahead to verse 29. All are not apostles, are they? All are not prophets, are they? These are rhetorical questions. All are not teachers, are they? All are not workers of miracles, are they? All do not have gifts of healing. Now he's referring again to ministry gifts and, and to gifts of the Spirit. To gifts of the Spirit. And the gifts of the Spirit, he, he explained in, in 1 Corinthians 12, are for the edification of the body. That is their purpose for the edification of the body. None of them are, uh, none of them are, they are all miraculous. But uh, for instance, if, if uh, let's say that the gift of healing is operative in your life, does that mean you can simply go empty the hospitals? No. First of all, they operate according to the, uh, the, the Spirit's will. But in addition to that, 
Let's say that uh, let's say that I operated in the gift of healing. Would I be any greater than my master? Was Jesus able to heal everyone? Was he able to heal everyone? He was. He was able to heal everyone. Did he heal everyone? No, he didn't. In Nazareth, he could heal no one there except those who had a few minor ailments, I think Luke records. Why? Because of their unbelief. The prayer of faith, we read in, in James 5, will save the sick. When they called for the elders of the church, you would imagine that among those elders would be those with the gift of healing. We are told that it's not the gift of healing, but the prayer of faith, which will save the sick. So faith summons the power of God through all of these gifts. That must always be present. But uh, I think it's important to bear in mind that if, if there is a gift of the Spirit functional in your life, it's not something that you can simply flip on and off like a switch. It's something that uh, uh, God, by His Spirit, is working through you. When, where, and how He determines. And that's important as a distinctive against this, uh, the gift of tongues as a part of our prayer language. Verse 30, all, all do not have the gift of healings, do they? All do not, let's repeat this uh, next sentence together, all do not speak with tongues, do they? That is tethered to what? All do not interpret, do they? He is referring here to the gifts of the Spirit operative within the body. Tongues and interpretation of tongues are inextricably linked. Those two gifts are inextricably linked. In, in 1 Corinthians 14, Paul is explicit in his counsel. Do not speak in an unknown tongue within the public assembly unless there is an interpreter present. These are companion gifts. They are inextricably linked. So we know that he is speaking here of these gifts of the Spirit which are given again for the edification of the body. The edification of the body. So when he says, do all speak with tongues, what is he making reference to? The gift of the Spirit operative in the public assembly for the body's edification. He has mentioned them in tandem here. Now, uh, of course, a sandwich in between uh, 1 Corinthians 12 and 1 Corinthians 14, 1 Corinthians 13, the, cha the love chapter, we call it. And throughout this uh, discourse, Paul is reminding them that these gifts operate with, within the context of love. We are serving one another through these gifts. They operate through us for the profit of the whole body. Now he makes a transition into 1 Corinthians 14. Pursue love, verse 1, yet earnestly desire spiritual gifts, but especially that you may prophesy. For one who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men, but to God. For no one understands him, but in his spirit he speaks mystery. Now before we... Please keep your place here and turn with me quickly to Jude 20, which is the verse we closed with last week. Jude, it's the uh, <laughs> book immediately preceding the book of Revelation. It's comprised of only one chapter, so let's uh, look at verse 20. But you, beloved, building yourselves up 
on your most holy faith. Now, he is writing uh, to the church, warning them against apostasy. There are false teachers who are at work in their midst, and he is urging them to hold fast to the gospel that was once delivered to them. He's urging them to hold fast to it and to build their faith and to build themselves up on that faith to gain additional understanding. Paul might say it as he did in Ephesians 3 so that Christ would dwell in their hearts by faith, that they would be locked into this. And how does he encourage them to do this? Verse 20 But you, beloved, building yourselves up on your most holy faith. Praying in the Holy Spirit. I took time last week to read from Pillar, uh, uh, the Pillar, the commentary on the New Testament, which is one of the leading, um, most recent uh, uh, commentaries. It reflects solid scholarship and and, and uh, uh, it, it's. It's really quite marvelous. If you're looking for a commentary, I'd recommend it's a little. It's about five hundred dollars. It's a little pricey, but it's worth it. Um, I read last week uh, regarding Jude twenty that uh, the latest scholarship points to the idea that he is referring to glossolalia. He is referring specifically to praying in other tongues. And if you want to hear the whole section I read it last week, go to last week's video, which is online. Um, and I don't ordinarily do that, but I wanted to do that simply to point to the fact that these ideas are quite mainstream. They're not fringe uh, notions. These are mainstream thought. Uh, it, it, is, it is the effect of very disciplined hermeneutics that bring us to these conclusions. And this is a specific reference to praying in other tongues in your private devotional life for the purpose of edifying yourself. Now, bearing that in mind, let's go back to 1 Corinthians 14. Verse 3, but one who prophesies, or, or excuse me, verse 2, one who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men but to God, for no one understands him. It's an unintelligible language, but in his spirit he speaks mysteries. But one who prophesies speaks to men for edification and exhortation and consolation. One who speaks in a tongue edifies who? Himself. Remember Jude's instruction, building up yourselves on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, praying in this other tongue. You edify yourself. I wish we could go on for 30 more minutes. We can't, but we'll continue as long as we may tonight. But there's a specific... Um, purpose in this praying in the Spirit that leads to edification. That is, somehow we are built up and empowered through the personal work of the Holy Spirit so that our faith grows. It increases. Our knowledge and understanding of God increases. And more to the point, we come to know Him, to know Jesus more intimately more personally, more fully and completely we come to know Him. And that is, after all, our great cause, to know Him. Above and beyond everything else, that is our deepest passion. Paul said, I, I count everything but dung 
in pursuit of this one single grand goal, that I may know Him. And this is, after all, why Jesus said the Holy Spirit was sent. Just before His, uh, his uh, passion and His death and resurrection, He said to the disciples, I'm going away, but I will not leave you alone. I will not leave you as orphans. I'm coming to you again. And then He introduces the Holy Spirit, this Helper, who would come alongside. And He said, I will be with you in the person of the Holy Spirit, and I will be in you. And then he said that the Holy Spirit would come to teach us, to reveal to us the things that are Christ, to cause us to know him more intimately. In fact, he said to his disciples, there are things that I have to say to you now that you cannot bear, but the Holy Spirit will reveal them to you. In this, somehow, in this praying in the Spirit, a mechanism is made available to us that allows this to actually unfold in our lives. It's a volitional act that allows us to encourage this growth, this revelation of Christ in our lives. Verse 4, one who speaks in a tongue edifies himself. But one who prophesies edifies the church. Now verse 5, read Read along with me closely. Now I wish that you all spoke in tongues. As I said last week, he's not speaking poetically. He's stating uh, precisely his wishes for the individual members of the church. I wish that you all spoke with tongues. In fact, in a few verses he says, I thank God I speak in tongues more than you all. but even more that you would prophesy. What, what is he suggesting? He's talking here specifically about the public assembly. He said, look, you, you all are coming in, and the manner in which you are participating in the gifts, particularly the gift of, of uh, tongues, is creating disorder. It's collapsing the, the evangelistic dynamic of these gifts. It's not edifying the body. It's leading to confusion and disarray. So in verse 5, he is saying, I want all of you to speak with tongues, but in the context of the public assembly, I would rather that you, what? Prophesy. He's not pitting one against the other. He is saying within a particular setting, one gift is superior to the other because of its effect or its what? Its purpose. But even more that you would prophesy, and greater is one who prophesies than one who speaks in tongues unless he interprets so that the church may receive edifying. But now, brethren, if I come to you speaking in tongues, what will I profit you unless I speak to you either by way of revelation or of knowledge or of prophecy or of teaching? Yet even lifeless things either flute or harp, in producing a sound, if they do not produce a distinction in the tones, how will it be known what is played on the flute or on the harp? For if the bugle produces an indistinct sound, who will prepare himself for battle? So also, unless you utter by the tongue speech that is clear, how will it be known what is spoken? For you will be speaking into the air. There are, perhaps, a great many kinds of languages in the world, and no kind is without meaning. 
If then I do not know the meaning of the language, I will be to the one who speaks a barbarian, and the one who speaks will be a barbarian to me. So also you, since you are zealous of spiritual gifts, seek to abound for the edification of the church. Therefore, let one who speaks in a tongue pray that he may interpret. Within the context of what? The public assembly. And again, it's just a practical matter. If Don suddenly stood up and started to uh, pray in other tongues, and that was the end of it, well, it might be a curious thing to observe, but we wouldn't be edified by it. Then imagine if every few minutes someone popped up in different parts of the congregation and began speaking in tongues. Now it wouldn't simply be curious, it would be annoying. And if, you're, if this is your first time here, you would think, that is a serious group of nuts. Ne- that was actually frightening. I was wondering, what if they should all turn on me suddenly? They would never want to come back, and you couldn't blame them. And that's what Paul is addressing here. Verse 14, now listen closely. If I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. What's happening when we pray in other tongues? Our spirit is praying. We are bypassing our intellect. And our spirit is speaking. He said, uh, the man who, verse 2, the man who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men, but to, but to God. So I'm, I'm praying from my spirit, bypassing my intellect, and I'm praying to who? God. What am I praying? 1 Corinthians 14, 2, mystery. Now, I'm not telling any mysteries to God. He's not listening, going, I always wondered about that. I'm praying out mysteries. Something unknown to me. Uh, verse 15, what is the outcome then? I, this is Paul, listen to me. I will pray with the Spirit. I will pray with the Spirit. But I will also Pray with my mind. I will sing with the Spirit. That We'll come to that in just a moment. And I will sing with the mind also. Otherwise, if you bless in the Spirit only, how will the one who fills the place of the ungifted say amen at your giving of thanks? For you are, um, verse 17, for you are giving thanks well enough, but the other person is not edified. I thank God I speak in tongues more than you all. However, where? In the church, I desire to speak five words with my mind so that I may instruct others also. Now, he was a preacher, so the chance that he spoke only five words is very, very slim. But five words in an own language would be more valuable than an hour spent speaking in other tongues. But I want you to note what he said. He is not in any way diminishing the value and importance of tongues. He's simply saying, within the context of the public assembly... You are out of order if you speak in tongues and there's no interpretation. But he is not undermining the value of tongues. In fact, he's underscoring it. Can you see that? And he says something intriguing to me. He said that the person who speaks in tongues, he said, you're giving thanks well and you're personally edified. Now, I find that intriguing. It means that the guy who is standing, let's say I'm out of order here and I'm, I'm speaking in other tongues, without interpretation, I am being personally edified, and I'm giving thanks well. But am I in order? But am I doing something spiritual? I am. He so validates the gift that he says, even if you participate in it in, in, in a fashion which is out of order, 
it is still a spiritual activity, even though you're not being led by the Spirit in its administration, in, in the manner in which you're participating in it. That's fascinating to me because it tells me just how invaluable this gift is. Now, am I confusing you when I call this the gift of tongues? Just because, I, I mean, I'm asking you sincerely. The, the language can be a barrier here. So I want you to bear in mind effect. That was his word in uh, uh, 1 Corinthians 12, 5. It's the same, the same spirit, but the effect or the purpose of the gifts vary based upon context. So do all speak with tongues? Not within the context of the public assembly. Do, do, can all speak with tongues in their private devotional lives? I think so. I want to ask you this question, and I, I posed this last week, Jude 20. He's urging them to build themselves up on their most holy faith by praying in the Holy Spirit, to grow in His grace in that fashion, and to avoid error in that fashion. Would it be appropriate for for uh, a command to be issued in such a general fashion if, if the gift were only available to a few? And what would the rest do? Just fend for themselves as best they can? The rest of you, well, I'm sorry, you may fall prey to these charlatans, to these false teachers. Sorry, that's just the way the dice rolled on this one. Well, that's absurd, isn't it? Do you think God would give such an extraordinarily valuable gift to only a few? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. Um, I say absolutely not. That's my opinion. Um, <clears throat> okay, let's, uh, let's, we're going to close with Ephesians. Uh, let's turn over to Ephesians, the first chapter. Now we're getting a bit more into uh, the outworking of uh, praying in other tongues. What, what its effect can be within our lives. Verse 18, Paul is praying for, or actually let's begin with verse 15. Paul is praying for the church at Ephesus. For this reason I too, having heard of the faith, in the Lord Jesus, which exists among you, and your love for all the saints, do not cease giving thanks for you, while making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him. He's praying for these believers that God would give them what? A spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him. Now, He is praying this for believers who have already received Christ, who have received a revelation of the Lordship of Jesus Christ, but now he's praying for further revelation, that God would grant them the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. And I would urge you to read the balance of that prayer uh, in the coming days, but turn with me to Ephesians 3. Again, he is praying for the church at Ephesus. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in the inner man. How many of you would like to be strengthened with God's power by the Holy Spirit through your inner man? Now, when I pray in the Spirit, Paul said, 
I'm bypassing my intellect. What's praying? My spirit is praying. To be strengthened with power through His Spirit in the inner man, in your spirit, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Remember Jude's prayer, or, or Jude's urging, building yourselves up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth, the length, the height, and depth, and to know the love of Christ, which surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled up to all the fullness of God. Now, how do we know something that passes knowledge? We have to have an experience. We're talking about an encounter with something. It's something you learn. It's knowledge you possess through experience, through encounter. Verse 20, Now unto Him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think according to what? The power that works within us. Now he continues this thought. He's largely dealing uh, with theory in Ephesians 1, 2, 3, and 4. And he starts to make a transition. In, in chapter 6, we see him make fully the transition. But I want you to note in chapter 5 how he is beginning to um, explain to us how to link the theoretical with the experiential in our lives. We're closing now, so hang with me. Verse 15, Therefore be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise, making the most of your time, because the days are evil. So then not, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. Now, he is placing these two in juxtaposition against themselves, not to say, well, instead of getting drunk, you know, be filled with the Spirit. He's saying, he's suggesting that to the degree that you can be uh, under the influence of alcohol, controlled by that, you can so live your lives under the influence of the Holy Spirit. Well, how do we do that, Paul? He immediately begins to explain to us how to be filled with the Spirit. Would you like to be filled with the Spirit? We leak, so it's something we have to be committed to. We, we, in fact, the language in the Greek is we should be being filled. It is an ongoing process, an ongoing effort. Verse 18, do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. Speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, or literally songs of the Spirit. Paul said, I will, what is it then? I will pray with my spirit and I'll pray with my understanding. I will sing with my spirit and I will sing with my understanding. This is precisely what he's commanding us to do to sing psalms and hymns. Have you ever just sung privately to the Lord? He thinks I have the most fabulous voice, I think. No one, I cannot get anyone else to agree with that. But singing to the Lord ministers to the Lord. But you know, I want you to try something. We're not going to do it right now. But I want you to try something tonight or tomorrow. I'm going to ask you to take a few minutes and try this. Lift your hands up. Don't do this in the vegetable section in public, but somewhere alone, alone. Don't make anyone else uncomfortable, but somewhere alone, lift your hands up and begin to speak to God in psalms and hymns and then songs of the Spirit.
Now, if you have not received this, uh, we, we will eventually get there. How to receive this gift. How to unwrap it, because we've all received it. How to unwrap it. Um, so if that's not something that you've yet uh, embraced, then just try quietly singing psalms and hymns. Singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. And as you do, monitor your emotions. It is extraordinary the peace that will envelop you. And a certain ebullience rising within. There is a miracle that happens. When you give thanks to God, you're drawing near to Him. James assures us that if we draw near to God, He will draw near to us. God inhabits the praises of His people. You are welcoming His presence into your life, and into that moment, and into that space. I want you to try that. And, and monitor what's happening spiritually and psychologically to you as you do that. And if you pray in other tongues, then in that moment, pray in the Spirit. Sing to God a song in the Spirit and, and see what happens then we're to give thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ and then live as servants one to another. But he begins to explain to us how to lead this, how to be filled with the Spirit. And he leads with, with this command to, to sing to God out of our hearts psalms and hymns and songs of the Spirit. Okay, we're going to stop right there. Um, I hope I've given you something to think about tonight. Um, we've, again, we're edging into this slowly. It, it uh, will take a bit of time. Um, I, I hope that you're finding this helpful and valuable. And again, if you have questions, and, and if you disagree with what I'm saying, again, that's, that is okay. And don't think if you come to me and say, well, I, I, I would like to talk with you that I'm going to be an ogre or that I'm going to, to uh, be imperious. I, I'm not. I will, listen with an, I will listen to you like I'm urging you to listen to me with an open mind and hear what you uh, have to share. And that, of course, I, I may think that's marvelous and I want to explore it a little further with you or I may ask you to explore some of these other ideas together with me. Uh, but... I'm, I'm, I'm not just giving lip service to that. I'm, I'm really urging you to, if you have questions or you have concerns, talk with me about them. I, I would love, to, uh, I would love to chat with you. Father, thank you for this word and, and for the Holy Spirit that you've given to lead us into truth and understanding. I pray that as we uh, study uh, these verses of Scripture, as we work through them, that we would enjoy the ministry of your Holy Spirit, teaching us, giving us understanding, and leading us into truth. And I pray your blessing upon uh, this group of people, Lord. They sacrifice their time to join together tonight to hear from you. I pray your blessing upon them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And I pray for their safe journey home. In Jesus' name, amen. If you need prayer, uh, please come uh, to the front. Don and I and others, I'm sure, will be joining us here to pray with you. God bless you.